Section 5 of Global Trends 2030, Alternative Worlds, by National Intelligence Council. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Chapter 2, Part 1. Chapter 2, Game Changers. The vast changes resulting from the megatrends alone ensure a transformed world by 2030. How the game changers sketched below evolve and interact with each other and with the megatrends will determine what kind of transformed world we will inhabit in 2030. In this chapter, we drill down on six key game changers and their potential impacts. The crisis-prone global economy. Will divergences among players with different economic interests and global volatility result in a worldwide economic breakdown and collapse? Or will the development of multiple growth centers lead to increased resiliency in the global economic order? The governance gap. Will current governments and international institutions be able to adapt fast enough to harness change instead of being overwhelmed by it? The potential for increased conflict. Will rapid changes and shifts in power lead to more intrastate and interstate conflicts? Wider scope of regional instability. Will regional spillover, especially in the Middle East and South Asia, cause global instability? The impact of new technologies. Will technological breakthroughs be developed in time to boost economic productivity and solve the problems caused by the strain on natural resources and climate change, as well as chronic disease, aging populations, and rapid urbanization? The role of the United States. Will the U.S. be able to work with new partners to reinvent the international system? carving out new roles in an expanded world order. Game Changer 1. The Crisis-Prone Global Economy The international economy will most likely continue to be characterized by various regional and national economies moving at significantly different speeds, a pattern reinforced by the 2008 financial crisis. Although growth rates may converge as China's economy, in particular, begins to slow, the contrast between the current higher growth of the emerging economies and the slow or stagnating recoveries in the major developed economies exemplifies this trend, at least for the next decade or so. The contrasting speeds across different regional economies are exacerbating global imbalances, which were one of the contributing causes of the 2008 crisis and straining governments and the international system. The key question is whether the divergences and increased volatility will result in a global breakdown and collapse, or whether the development of multiple growth centers will lead to increased resiliency. Future political and economic crises are a real possibility in the absence of concerted policy adjustments in the major developed and developing economies. Quote, the 2008 crisis and its long tail raised the prospect of an extended crisis 
that would undermine the social and political fabric in many Western countries and create long-term destabilizing effects, end quote. Both developed and developing countries face stiff challenges to achieve a new normalcy or stability in the global economy. For the West, the challenge will be to ensure that the recent slow or stagnating growth since the 2008 financial crisis, driven by deleveraging, paying down debt, does not lead to a prolonged slump or worse, more financial crises. In the case of many European countries and Japan, the challenge also will involve finding ways to sustain growth in the face of rapidly aging populations. For rising states, such as China and India, the main challenge involves sustaining economic development and not falling into the middle income trap, a situation in which per capita income does not increase to the level of the world's advanced economies. To avoid such an outcome, the rising powers will need to consider implementing wide-ranging changes to political and social institutions. Finally, the transition to a more multipolar global economy brings its own risks, which are likely to be particularly pronounced as the West's grip is loosening and the emerging powers are primarily focused on domestic development. In the interim, international management of the system could falter as players with diverging interests fail to cooperate with one another. The Plight of the West The 2008 crisis and its long tail raised the prospect of an extended crisis that would undermine the social and political fabric in many Western countries and create long-term destabilizing effects. Historical studies indicate that recessions involving financial crises tend to be deeper and require recoveries that take twice as long. McKinsey Global Institute's MGI's recent study of debt and deleveraging indicates that in the years since the onset of the financial crisis, quote, major Western economies have only just begun deleveraging, end quote. Total debt has actually grown for most major Western economies, with the exception of the U.S., Australia, and South Korea, where the ratio of total debt to GDP has declined. Previous episodes of deleveraging have taken close to a decade, the report concludes that this pattern is likely to continue. Quote, no single country has all the conditions in place to revive growth. End quote. Most of the leading Western countries could therefore suffer the consequences of low economic growth that lasts longer than a decade. A crisis-prone global economy. Type, advanced economies, present status. The 2008 crisis and its long tail raised the prospect of an extended crisis undermining the social and political fabric in many Western countries, leading to potentially destabilizing effects. Trendline. To compensate for slowing labor force growth, Western countries will need to rely on growth and productivity. Even the slowly growing labor force may not be fully employed 
because of external competition, particularly among low-skill workers. One billion workers from developing countries are likely to be added to the global labor pool. In Europe, economic and fiscal issues are entwined with decisions on the EU's future, making potential solutions more complex because of the multiplicity of actors and political concerns. Impacts on global economy. The declining weight of U.S. and other Western countries and growing multipolarity enhances fragility of the global economy. Absent a hegemonic power or strong global governance mechanisms, risks increase in this multipolar environment for major economic powers to focus on domestic imperatives without regarding the impact on others. Type, emerging powers. Present status, in the coming decades, not only will the big emerging powers like China, India, and Brazil make relative economic gains, but Colombia, Mexico, Indonesia, South Korea, Turkey, and potentially Nigeria also will make their marks. Trend line. To avoid the middle income trap, China will need to transition to a more consumer-driven and knowledge-intensive economy involving difficult political and social reforms. India faces similar problems and traps accompanying rapid growth, but New Delhi benefits from having democracy as a safety valve and a more youthful demographic profile. China and India are vulnerable to the volatility of key resources. Impacts on global economy. The health of the global economy will increasingly be linked to how well the developing world does, more so than the traditional West. The assumption of more global responsibilities in both political and economic spheres by emerging powers will be critical to ensure a stable global economic outlook. A future rise in interest rates, highly likely under some scenarios, would see ballooning interest payments at a time when social entitlement payments are set to grow, making it more difficult to pay down the accumulated debt. Many experts believe that drastic measures will be necessary to check the rapid growth of current and future liability of governments and reduce their adverse consequences for long-term growth and monetary stability. Quote, most of the leading Western countries could therefore suffer the consequences of low economic growth that lasts longer than a decade, end quote. The key structural challenge, aging, underlying this negative economic outlook will impact Europe and Japan more, but will have significant effects on the United States as well. Previous financial and economic crises, such as the 1930s Great Depression, hit when populations were youthful, providing a demographic bonus during the post-war economic boom. However, such a bonus will not exist in any prospective recovery. To compensate for significant drops in labor force size, the hoped for economic growth in countries such as Germany and Japan will have to come from growth in productivity. 
In spite of baby boomer retirements, the U.S. is in a better position, with its working age population projected to rise by 8% through 2030. Ironically, even declining or slowly growing labor forces, which will dampen growth in richer aging countries, may not be fully employed because of external competition, particularly at the low-skilled end. Western countries are likely to continue suffering from increasing global labor competition, a trend that began in the 1980s. A recent Oxford economics study estimates that another 1 billion workers from developing countries are likely to be added to the global labor pool in the next several decades. Labor force studies show that the twin impacts of globalization and technology lead to a two-tiered labor market of low- and high-skilled labor, with a particular squeeze on workers at the low-to-middle end. If past experience and economic theory holds, the increase in global labor supply will put additional downward pressure on low-skilled labor incomes, forcing low-skilled workers to accept lower wages or become redundant. The development of robotics and other emerging advanced manufacturing technologies is also likely to eliminate many jobs in the short to medium term. More advanced emerging market countries, such as China with rising wages, also will face competition from other countries for low and middle skilled jobs unless they too move up the value chain to develop higher skilled workers. If they do, these countries will compete with more expensive skilled labor in advanced countries, increasing pressure on once safe high-end employment. To level the playing field, developing countries will have to dramatically improve labor productivity, which in many cases means shedding low-skilled workers, increasing skills, and boosting automation. Quote, a recent Oxford economics study estimates that another 1 billion workers from developing countries are likely to be added to the global labor pool in the next several decades. End quote. A relatively generous welfare system has cushioned the blow to the unemployed, particularly in Europe, for now. However, low economic growth rates, rising pension liabilities, and debt crises in European countries and the U.S. place increased pressure on already strained budgets. With borrowing constrained because of high debts, these countries probably will not be able to afford to finance generous welfare systems unless they can significantly increase economic growth rates and labor productivity. Reducing borrowing risks political blowback complicating and lengthening efforts to undertake structural economic reform. On the other hand, failure to take budgetary action risks the likelihood of more abrupt rises in government bond yields at medium and long maturities. Europe is a special case. Economic and fiscal issues are entwined with political decisions on the future of the EU including more centralized powers for EU financial management. 
EU leaders want to avoid a breakup of the Eurozone, even though current efforts to avoid such an outcome have resulted in a crisis atmosphere, sowing uncertainty about Europe's future global markets. The current mode of crisis management is unsustainable over the long term. Possible solutions, such as a multi-speed Europe, will spawn questions about Europe's capacity for unitary political action. Economic divergence and market volatility are likely to continue to characterize the EU throughout much of this period, even if, as some expect, quote, Europe is well on its way to completing the original concept of a comprehensive economic and monetary union and will emerge much stronger as a result, end quote. More than most Western countries, Japan's rapidly aging and dwindling population is putting the society in a bind, severely undercutting its long-term growth potential. The combination of a long-term deteriorating fiscal situation with a dramatically aging and declining population, roughly one elderly person per two working-age people by 2025, will limit the government's maneuvering room to consolidate its fiscal situation. In Germany, the population ages 15 through 65 will decline from 54 to 47 million between 2010 and 2030, and in Japan, from 81.5 to 68.7 million. The IMF has suggested that Strong policy adjustments with adverse political repercussions will be required to put, quote, public finances back on sustainable footing, end quote. Ambitious debt stabilization cannot be put in place without the risk of, quote, substantial short-term output costs, end quote, posing a risk to economic recovery. Demographically, the United States is in the best position of all the major developed powers, and some developing ones like China, with a birth rate close to replacement level. However, the burden on the U.S. to fund entitlement programs, Social Security and Medicare, will increase markedly, particularly without a slowdown in the rate of the United States rising health care costs. Economists also worry that the approaching transition of the baby boomer generation from workers to retirees will remove from the U.S. labor force the cadre of its most educated, skilled, and experienced workers. The United States' declining educational base is not seen as adequately preparing younger workers for the more globally competitive environment. Moreover, most economists believe that, quote, a fundamental rebalancing of the composition of the U.S. economy will be required, end quote, for the U.S. to recover its former path of, quote, buoyant and job-creating growth, end quote. Crunch time, too, for the emerging powers. Most of the emerging economies weathered the 2008 financial crisis well. In the coming decade, we will probably witness not only relative economic gains by China, India, and Brazil, but also the increasing importance of emerging regional players such as Colombia, Indonesia, Nigeria, South Africa, 
South Korea, Mexico, and Turkey. However, developing countries will face their own challenges, especially in continuing the momentum behind their rapid growth. The health of the global economy will be increasingly linked to how well the developing world does, more so than the traditional West. The developing world already provides more than 50% of global growth and 40% of global investment. Its contribution to global investment growth is more than 70%. China's contribution is now one and a half times the size of the U.S. contribution. In the World Bank's baseline modeling of future economic multipolarity, China, despite the slowing of its economic growth, will contribute about one-third of global growth by 2025, far more than any other economy. The world economy no longer depends on U.S. consumers, but on investment growth in emerging countries. Quote, the health of the global economy will be increasingly linked to how well the developing world does, more so than the traditional West, end quote. Despite its bright prospects to become the world's economic growth engine, China probably faces some of the biggest hurdles to achieving that goal. The country's population will begin to age rapidly, whereas 8% of the Chinese population is now 65 and older. That figure will exceed 16% in 2030. Meanwhile, the proportion of China's population in the normal working years, 15 to 65, which recently peaked at 72%, will decline to about 68% by 2030. In addition to the decline of its working age population, a pending youth dearth is on the horizon for China. The share of the population aged 15 to 29, now just over 30%, will fall to about 21% by 2030. University applications have declined for the past two years. Presumably, the early manifestation of a tightening labor market also is contributing to the rising labor unrest of the country. China has averaged 10% real growth during the past three decades. By 2020, the economy will probably be expanding by only 5%, according to several private sector forecasts. The slower growth, which will probably be twice the U.S. average, will still ensure that China surpasses the U.S. in overall economic size sometime during the next decade or two. However, the slower growth will mean downward pressure on per capita income growth. China's per capita income in 2020 will have reached $17,000 in nominal terms, whereas Brazil's and Russia's will be more than $23,000 and $27,000 respectively. The G7 economies are set to reach $64,000 per capita income, PPP, in 2020, more than three times China's. China faces the prospect of being trapped in middle-income status. Many Latin American countries faced a similar situation in the 1980s and were unable to avoid the trap because of income inequality 
and their inability to restructure their economies. Understanding that the Chinese economy is likely to slow, China's leaders want to transition to a more consumer-driven economy and move China up the value-added industrial production chain. They are promoting SNT as the new economic growth driver, and China is already achieving progress in sectors such as nanotechnology, stem cell research, materials research, and new applications of existing technologies. Quote, India, by contrast, will remain a relatively useful country, continuing to benefit from a demographic dividend, end quote. To achieve its goals, however, China will also need to develop its agricultural sector through establishment of fair and equitable land rights and build a banking sector that is more market-based and not geared to favor state-owned enterprises. There is also the question of whether a country can move to greater consumption if it does not have a social safety net. In the last 20 years, opening up brought capital and technology to China, enabling domestic industries to catch up with Western companies. In the next 20 years, Chinese firms will probably need to go outside China to obtain the next level of technological and managerial innovation and sophistication. To do so, China will have to engage in foreign direct investment in other countries, a logical step at this stage of development and possibly the only way for China to move up the value chain. An economically difficult transition could mean an equally difficult political one in the case of China. Slower per capita growth will increase the difficulty of meeting rising expectations, potentially sparking discontent. A political crisis would make it harder for China to meet its economic goals. A prolonged political and economic crisis could cause China to turn inward, blaming external forces for its problems at home. Although the leadership and much of the middle class are now wedded to globalization because of China's success during the past 30 years, suspicion of the outside world lingers and, similar to historical cases elsewhere, could reemerge as a powerful political force if Chinese economic development stalls. The World Bank assesses that India will join China as an emerging economy growth poll by 2025, which could help to strengthen the global economy. India's expected robust growth in the next 15 to 20 years means that its contribution to global growth will surpass that of any individual advanced economy except the United States. World Bank modeling suggests that together China and India will serve as nearly twice the engine for growth as of the United States and the Eurozone combined by 2025. India, however, faces many of the same problems and traps accompanying rapid growth as China. Large inequities between rural and urban sectors and within society increasing constraints on resources such as food and water, and a need for greater investment in science and technology in order to continue to move its economy up a notch. 
India's democracy provides it with a safety valve for discontent in a way that China's one-party rule does not. At the same time, regional tensions between India and many of its neighbors could threaten India's rise should such tensions explode in conflict and confrontation. As with China, a sharp economic downturn, particularly propelled by a political or military crisis, could quickly have broader regional and global effects. India, in contrast to China, will remain a relatively youthful country, continuing to benefit from a demographic dividend. The share of its population, ages 15 through 65, will continue to rise from about 65% now to perhaps 69% by 2030. India's declining birth rate combined with a greater proportion of dependent seniors will not begin to create an economic burden before 2050. Consequently, long-term forecasts show Indian economic power growing steadily throughout the 21st century and overtaking China at the end of the century because of China's maturing age structure. To maximize its advantage from the greater proportion of youths, however, India will need to boost its educational system. Both attainment and quality at lower levels make substantial governance improvements particularly in countering corruption, and undertake large-scale infrastructure program to keep pace with rapid urbanization and the needs of a more advanced economy. Both China and India are also vulnerable to the volatility in prices of key resources and to the potential early impacts of climate change. The Asian Development Bank indicated in a 2011 report that based on current trends, Asia could become 90% dependent on imported oil by 2050. Rapid urbanization also enhances the vulnerabilities of Asian countries. Approximately 44 million people are being added to Asia's urban population every year. By 2025, the majority of Asia's population will be urban. Currently, many of China's and India's urban densities, unlike Tokyo, Seoul, and Singapore, are decreasing, creating urban sprawl, which is spurring growth in car ownership, higher energy use, and higher costs to provide utilities and transportation networks. Food and water demands also rise exponentially with urbanization. Asian cities are vulnerable to the severe weather connected to climate change, which amplifies storm surges and flooding of low-lying areas. This is particularly the case for many of these coastal cities, Kolkata, Calcutta, Mumbai, Bombay, Dhaka, Guangzhou, Ho Chi Minh City, Shanghai, Manila, Bangkok, Yangon, and Haiphong. In light of these trends, emerging market demand for infrastructure, housing, property, and manufacturing plants and equipment will raise global investment to levels not seen in four decades. Emerging market countries 
with their faster growth rates and higher saving rates, will become the most important source of global finance, nearly doubling their share of the world's financial assets during the next decade or so. However, the savings of emerging market countries may not be able to meet the increasing investment demands. McKinsey and Company estimates that the gap between potential capital supply and demand will reach between 0.8 and $2.4 trillion by 2030. This gap will result in upward pressure on long-term interest rates, particularly in regions without adequate savings. Such a secular trend would have negative implications for investments around the world. A multipolar global economy, inherently more fragile, some experts have compared the upcoming decline of U.S. economic weight to the late 19th century, when economic dominance by one player, Britain, receded into multipolarity. Other resemblances include an accelerating globalization, rapid technological development, and growing geopolitical competition among the great powers. The late 19th century was a time of relatively high real economic volatility with wide fluctuations in growth rates. The average growth rate of the leading country, the United Kingdom, in the 19th century was not high, while the growth rate of the rival, the U.S., was higher but variable. Just as now intellectual property rights were in dispute, with no government in a position to enforce them abroad. An added current complication are the differences over market liberalization and role of the state in the economy, which are likely to continue. Other experts emphasize that the global economic system will become increasingly stressed. Up to now, less than one billion people have accounted for three quarters of global consumption. During the next two decades, New and expanded middle classes in the developing world could create as many as 2 billion additional consumers. Such an explosion will mean a scramble for raw materials and manufactured goods. With greater demand for products, economists worry that the number of bottlenecks will increase markedly and that supply of resources and goods will face at least temporary constraints. This could mean that the durations of business cycles will become significantly shorter and that they will be less smooth. Competition over resources might lead governments to become increasingly involved in managing them, ramping up tensions with other countries vying for the same resources. Quote, up to now, less than one billion people have accounted for three quarters of global consumption. During the next two decades, new and expanded middle classes in the developing world could create as many as two billion additional consumers. Such an explosion will mean a scramble for raw materials and manufactured goods." End quote. Effective global governance would be necessary to avoid such tensions escalating and to ensure against risks of mercantilism and protectionism infecting the global economy. Such risks are greater in a multipolar world 
marked by wide divergences in domestic forms of capitalism and differences regarding how to manage the international system. Any economic breakdowns in key countries, such as China, would be likely to spur political disruption, which would complicate recovery and potentially limit the ability of others to help. Interest rates may increase with imbalances between easily available supplies and growing demand of raw materials. Upward movement in interest rates may also be pushed by a decline in global savings capacities as rising middle classes in the developing world consume more and aging populations in the developed world begin to draw down their savings. Some economists also expect growing incentives for investors to diversify. With long-run growth trends diverging, the relative attractiveness of Western bonds as opposed to emerging markets will begin to decline. As in the late 19th century, a leading, though not dominant, global currency, the dollar, may remain, but alongside others. The absence of a clear hegemonic economic power, as represented by an unrivaled global currency, could in turn add to volatility as in the late 19th century. The various players pursued their special interests with little risk of any enforcement of common rules by an overwhelming power. Of course, the future will not exactly repeat the past. There are both reasons to believe that the global economy will be stronger than in the late 19th century, and also situations in which it could become more crisis-prone. We have a stronger global financial system for dealing with stresses than we did in earlier eras. The gold standard did not allow for a stabilization policy by central banks, accentuating the volatility. Bretton Woods institutions, the IMF and World Bank, which reduced the risk of spillover from fiscal and other crises, did not exist. However, the degree to which the emerging powers would view these originally Western-established bodies with legitimacy and deference in a full-scale economic crisis is unclear. The current institutional framework is not likely to withstand the unleashing of a major conflict between the big economic players. Despite all the economic integration during the late 19th century, Belle Epoque, the first globalization spurt was undone by the First World War and 1930s Great Depression. As we'll explore in a later section, in the next couple decades, conflict involving great powers is not inconceivable. But if such a conflict does occur, it almost certainly will not be on the level of a world war with all major powers engaged. Finally, we are assuming that the new normal, albeit more fragile and volatile than the great moderation of the pre-2008 period, would be based on active support of the emerging powers. As described above, one could envisage mercantilist and protectionist pressures growing to break down globalization, particularly if coupled with rising political tensions with neighbors and rivals. Game Changer 2. The Governance Gap 
Whether governments and international institutions will be able to adapt fast enough to harness change instead of being overwhelmed by it is a key question for future developments. The rapid advances in information, communications, and other technologies argue for publics and institutions that will be better able to tackle global and regional challenges. If the global middle class expands, as many experts project, demand for rule of law and government accountability is likely to increase. Challenges associated with managing increasing urban conglomerations will tax governing structures, but such challenges also will prompt development of more effective governing structures and smarter technologies. However, the increasing number of players needed to solve major transnational challenges will complicate decision-making. A growing number of diverse and dissimilar state, subnational, and non-state actors will play important governance roles in an increasingly multipolar world. Finally, the lack of consensus between and among established and emerging powers suggests that the baseline case for multilateral governance out to 2030 will be at best limited. Quote, the rapid advances in information, communications, and other technologies argue for publics and institutions that will be better able to tackle global and regional challenges. However, the increasing number of powers needed to solve a major transnational challenge will complicate decision-making, end quote. Governance starts at home, risks and opportunities. The governance gap will be most pronounced at the domestic level and driven by the rapid political and social changes. The advances over the past couple decades in health, educational levels, and income, which we expect to continue if not accelerate in some cases, are both affected by and drivers of new governance structures. Both social science theory and recent history, the color revolutions and the Arab Spring, support the idea that with maturing age structures, greater educational levels, and rising incomes, political liberalization and democracy are nurtured and advance. However, the extended transition to full democracy is much more stable and long-lasting when youth bulges begin to decline and incomes are higher. Two conditions can increase the prospects for instability. First, studies have shown that countries moving through the mid-range between autocracy and democracy have a proven record of high instability. Second, countries that have a government system that is highly inconsistent with their level of development in other spheres, particularly their economic levels, tend to be less stable. These same two risk factors apply to a large number of the countries of the world. Countries in the Awkward Mid-Range If we use Polity's 20-point scale and define the awkward mid-range between autocracy and democracy as scores between 5 and 15, with autocracy below 5 and democracy above 15, Currently, about 50 countries qualify as falling into this major risk group.
most countries remain below a more consolidated democratic level of 18 or above, suggesting that even in 2030, many countries will still be zigzagging their way through the complicated democratization process. The greatest number of countries in the mid-range in 2030 is likely to be in Sub-Saharan Africa, 23 of 45 countries, followed by Asia, 17 of 59 total, including five of the 11 Southeast Asian countries and four of the nine Central Asian ones. Then the Middle East and North Africa, 11 out of 16. Recent events in the Middle East, Levant, confirm the region's vulnerability to the governance transition risk, which is likely to be playing out in 2030. Quote, even in 2030, many countries will still be zigzagging their way through the complicated democratization process. End quote. Natural disasters that might cause governments to collapse. In October 2011, the National Intelligence Council, NIC, partnered with Oak Ridge National Laboratory, ORNL, to identify and investigate natural disaster scenarios that would pose a severe threat to the U.S. and other major nations. Participants, which included subject matter experts from universities in the U.S., Canada, and Europe, in addition to NIC and ORNL officials, were asked to distinguish among various categories of natural disasters, extinction-level events, potentially fatal scenarios with medium recurrence intervals, and ordinary disasters with short recurrence intervals. Scenarios in the extinction level category are so rare that they were discounted. The impacts from these events, such as large volcanic eruptions or impacts of large asteroids or comets, are likely to be minimal because something else, such as major military defeat or economic collapse, is far more likely to bring down any great nation or civilization. At the other end, ordinary disasters, which typically cause high mortality and substantial human misery, and therefore warrant major prevention and recovery efforts, do not present a major threat to the foundations of nations or human society. Far more serious threats are those natural disasters that are both sufficiently severe to bring down nations and also sufficiently likely to occur. A short list of candidates fitting these criteria includes staple crop catastrophes, especially extreme and prolonged drought, crop plagues, and highly sulfurous long-duration but low-level volcanic eruptions. Although severe outbreaks of generalist pests, locusts, and grasshoppers are possible, many of the worst epidemics can be traced to the development of monocultures, which is increasingly the case in modern agriculture. See above where we talk about the potential for the spread of wheat rust to have a devastating effect because of the lesser biological diversity of wheat. The Laki eruption in Iceland in 1783-84 only lasted eight months, 
but the dry fog that was produced by its sulfurous plumes resulted in a hemispheric temperature drop of 1.0 to 1.5 degrees centigrade and widespread crop failures. Tsunamis in selected locations, especially Tokyo and the Atlantic coast of the U.S. Tokyo, which is at a low elevation, is the largest global city at greatest risk. The largest tsunami that could hit the U.S. east coast would be due to an earthquake in the Puerto Rico area. The travel time for the tsunami to the east coast is only 1.5 hours. The probability of another massive earthquake occurring in Puerto Rico within this century is over 10%. Erosion and depletion of soils. Modern agriculture is eroding soil at rates at least 10 to 20 times faster than soil forms. Worldwide soil erosion has caused farmers to abandon 430 million hectares of arable land since the Second World War an area the size of India. Increases in oil prices and thus end of cheap fertilizers means that maintaining agricultural productivity without healthy soil will become increasingly expensive and difficult. Solar geomagnetic storms that could knock out satellites, the electric grid, and many sensitive electronic devices. The recurrence intervals of crippling solar geomagnetic storms are less than a century and now pose a threat because of the world's dependence on electricity. Until cures are implemented, solar superstorms will pose a large-scale threat to the world's social and economic fabric. End of Section 5. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.